0: You see, as we jump back into our series in the book of Philippians, Joy in the Journey, we come to a really tough topic, and it's the topic of affliction. And here's the question Can problems actually be productive in the life of a believer? Can the gospel be advanced in the midst of affliction? Imagine this morning as you walked in instead of being greeted by the pastor you were greeted by armed guards who barred your way from coming into the church and they told you this Mitchell Brian church is no longer welcome in this community. And the authorities have decided to shut things down because we're tired of you proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ go home. What would you do? I don't think it would be long before you'd pull out your phones and you'd start calling and texting other believers in this body. You'd even reach out to people who don't regularly come here. And one of the first things that would start to happen is we would become bonded together as a body in a way that we've never been bonded before. Through what? Affliction. Persecution. Problems. Some of you who I call chameleon Christians, who you just blend into the culture and no one really knows that you love Jesus Christ, some of you would come out of the woodwork. You would start to become bold about your faith. You see, this same thing happened to the church, the first century church at Philippi. They put the apostle Paul in prison and they thought that'll put out the fire in that church. But you see, something that Paul understood was this persecution, problems, affliction, troubles, trials, that doesn't put out the fire, it fans the flame. It actually fuels the fire in the heart of a believer. How did Paul know that? But because before he came to Jesus Christ, he was persecuting the church. And he understood that he couldn't put out that fire with persecution. In fact, persecution just fueled the fire. Church we got a lot of problems in our country. I know that. You know that. And we're sitting around complaining about our country today, and it's causing us to get discouraged and derail us from the mission instead of driving us to the mission. People need Jesus, and we've got the truth. There's two kinds of trouble or affliction, and one is internal and the other is external. And if you think about a family for a moment, internal turmoil A mom and dad fighting, siblings fighting, moms, dads, and kids fighting. What does that do? It fractures that family. But when that's an external pressure put upon them, maybe the loss of a loved one. What does that do? It it connects them. It brings them together where they start to care for one another, bonded together. The same thing happens in the church. When you and I start to fight, we create fractions within the church. When it's internal. But when those problems are external, they can bring us together and bond us and cause us to become bold and we can have a unity built on Jesus Christ. Now I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 12, 13 and 14 because it's here that Paul reminds us that persecution does not prevent the spread of the gospel, it actually promotes the spread of the gospel. Philippians 1, 12. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I think the first thing that Paul wants us to know as a church today is that we got to make it about the goal and not the groaning. Do you notice here that Paul says, everything that has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Church, what's the goal? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross of Calvary. He bled for your sin and for my sin, and he didn't just cover our sin. He cleansed us. He conquered sin on the cross, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, and when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we are saved for all eternity. That's the goal. Do your neighbors know about the gospel? Do your friends know about the gospel? And what happens to so many of us when we have trials in our life is we short circuit scripture because what we do is we immediately make it about self. How do these problems affect me? It's not about me. It's about the message of Jesus. And what I love here is that God tells us in the midst of the good news, there's, there's great news. And that is that problems cannot prevent the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul here says this, that everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it has served to what? To spread or advance the gospel. That word, to advance or to spread, in the Greek is a military term. Now, how does the military handle things when they come up against something hard? When they're trying to advance And there's something blocking their way. They just say, oh, it's hard. Let's get in our tanks and go home, right? That's what the military do. No. They bring to bear. They bring up the heavy artillery. They absolutely bombard whatever is in their way. They bring in planes and they blaze away. Why? They blaze a trail. So that the rest of the army can advance. And do you know what Jesus is saying here to you and I? The artillery that I'm going to use to make a way for the gospel are your problems. That's the ammunition that I'm going to shoot out of the artillery. And when you and I get that, all of a sudden we'll be like, yeah, bring the problems because we don't see them anymore as affliction. We see them as artillery that is going to pave a way for the gospel. See, Paul had this... Beautiful perspective. I'm focused on the plan, not on the problems. And the problems don't prevent the plan. The problems promote the plan. Is that your perspective today? You see, when we go back and we look at the very first church, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to be a disciple that declares my name and I want you to do it here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I want you to take the gospel and go. Right? That's the mission. And what happens? The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches this amazingly powerful sermon. It is simple. What's the sermon? It's salvation. You need Jesus. And thousands come to Christ, right? And overnight, there's this massive church that gets started, and they're content with that. But that's only part of the mission. And what we're doing today is we're saying, well, I'm comfortable with this part of the mission, and I'm just going to base the mission on my comfort and not on the call of Jesus Christ, right? Because when we get to Acts chapter eight, eight chapters later, what are they doing? They're still in Jerusalem doing church. And we're called to do church, but we're called to what? We're called to go. We're called to spread the gospel. And so what does God use? You see, there's something that's preventing the spread of the gospel. Only what's interesting is it's not what you and I think. It's not actually affliction. What's preventing the spread of the gospel is called comfortable, complacent Christians who want to make it about my comfort level and not the call of Jesus Christ. Because I like my little Jerusalem. I like my little church. I like things the way I like things. And Jesus, I don't know about out there. It's scary. And I'll have to walk by faith. So I just want to stay where it's comfortable. So what does Jesus do? He allows persecution under this young guy called Saul, who now has become Paul, who's in prison for Jesus Christ. But before he came to Christ, he brought persecution to Jerusalem. And you know what happened to the Christians in Jerusalem and the church? They scattered. Why? They couldn't live there. They couldn't handle the pressure of persecution. But you know where they went? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I love Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says this, wherever they went, they shared Jesus. You see, the problems didn't prevent the spread of the gospel. They promoted the spread of the gospel. We got a lot of problems in our country, right? And we're complaining about that. I know that because most of you are friends with me on Facebook, and I see the constant complaints. And it's both sides politically. We're just complaining, complaining, complaining. But what if... What if the pushback that we're experiencing from the culture, and have you felt the pushback, church? There has not been a time in our history as a nation where we have experienced as much pushback on Christianity as we are now on the church. But what if that pushback is exactly what we need to stop being comfortably complacent in the church and we go? What if that's what God allows to pave the way for the gospel? to start to get into our schools, into our communities, into our businesses, to where Jesus isn't just this guy we talk about on Sunday, but he's the Lord of our life every day. You and I know that we got problems not just in our country, but in our community. And I know the easy thing to do is to complain. Paul could have complained about his problems. Let me ask you, what does complaining actually do? It's destructive. It's not productive. You see, what we do is we discourage, and we got a whole generation watching us. Have you noticed that that we have just become an angry society where we're offended by everything today and we're complaining about everything today? You want to know why that happened? It's because as parents, that's what we're teaching the next generation. Because every post, every complaint, every one of our, I'm offended, I'm offended. Our kids are like, that's how you handle things when they don't go your way. You don't turn to Jesus. You don't turn to Christ. You turn to complaining. And that's what we've created, a culture of complaining in the church today. And I'm going to tell you, it it discourages it's destructive. It's not productive, and that's why Paul didn't complain. He didn't have to complain. If we have Christ, what do we have to complain about? Instead of complaining about the culture, what if we connected with the culture? What if we brought Christ to the culture? Now we got problems in this community, right? Do you realize that there are kids that are hungry in every single one of our schools, and we 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 are a. a, a unique church in that we represent lots of different communities, lots of different schools, and we have our school rivalries and 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 we think, you know, when we win a ball game, we have all our cheerleaders, we're the best, you're worst, go get on the bus, whatever their chant is, right? And and we try to make it like sportsmanlike. But we all know in our hearts, right, that pride's kind of getting in the way and we think our school's better than another school. Can I tell you something, common denominator? All of our schools have problems. All of our schools have kids that when the weekend comes, like now, they starve. That their last meal is Friday at school, and their next meal is Monday when they get to school, because over the weekend, there's nothing in the cupboards. And for some of them, it's because their parents are partying. It's not their fault. For some of them, their parents are stuck in poverty. It's not these kids' fault. And we can complain about that, but what good is that going to do? It would be destructive, not productive, because we'll train our kids. When you see poverty, just complain. When you see hungry people, just complain. No, bring them Christ. Bring them food. Meet the needs in their life. Out in the foyer, there's a table set up representing all of our schools in the valley. And there's backpack programs where you can go and pick up a pamphlet back there. And I don't care what school you pick. It could be the school your kid's connected to. It could be the school that you got grandkids at. It doesn't really matter. Just go get one. And you can look through and go start buying some of those items. And one of the things we complain about all the time is going shopping. You know, there's certain stores are like, ah, oh, it's like a war zone in there, Right? I'm going to tell you, you'll enjoy this. You know why? Because it won't be about you. It'll be about someone else that needs Jesus. And when you bump into people in the store and they're like, oh, you're here to get this, this, that. And you're like, no, I'm shopping for a backpack program because we've got hungry kids in this community that need to be filled and they need to be loved by Jesus Christ. You can share your testimony while you're shopping. And then you bring those items back and there's tubs there and you put them in there. And, and here's an awesome thing about our church. We've got administrators, teachers, teachers, represented from all of our schools that are a part of this church and they'll come get that and take it and put it in the backpacks of those kids and they'll say, you know what? That came from the church. God loves you. See, we can complain about it. Thanksgiving's coming, right? We're gonna sit around with friends and family and we're gonna feast and probably get a little too full. And hopefully the preacher won't preach on gluttony the Sunday before, right? We're hoping for that. But you see, what about the families that are hurting? What about the families that are not gonna have food? And their kids know, their kids are in school, we're talking about all this Thanksgiving stuff, only they know that they're, they're gonna go home and have nothing to celebrate, right? Our men are going to lead the charge. Now, several of the things that I'm going to share with you, some of them are kicking off today, like the backpack program, and it goes the whole school year. Some of these things are just going to be a seasonal thing. Some of these things are going to happen in a couple of weeks. But I want you to know of all these things that are coming so that we as a church can connect with our community with the love of Jesus Christ. And in a couple of weeks, our men are going to be handing out um, little shopping bags with a grocery list on there. And you just go buy those items. You bring it back to the church. And then the third weekend in November, we're going to get together, have a breakfast. And we're going to pack up those boxes and go deliver them to people that need them. If you're aware of families in need this Thanksgiving that need a meal, just call the church office. Let Deidre know. We'll, we'll put them on a list. But here's the thing, you are the hands and feet of Jesus and you're gonna show up and you're gonna pick up these boxes and go knock on a door and say, hey, I'm from Mitchell Breein Church and I just wanted to give you this Thanksgiving box and we just want you to know that God loves you. How can I pray for you? Because it's time to stop complaining about the problem and actually confront the problem with Jesus Christ. Operation Christmas Child, October 20th and 21st. We're going to that weekend go ahead and and have you take those boxes. There's instructions in there. These go out all over the all over the world. Because the gospel's global, right? And these boxes, you can just go buy these basic supplies for a couple extra bucks, you can put in there, and, and the ministry will go ahead and purchase a Bible in that child's language. Why? Because it's about the gospel. Some of you as parents, you're frustrated with your kids right now. They got every toy under the sun. They don't appreciate things and and you know how blessed they are and they don't realize it. This is a great opportunity for you to take them with you to the store and say, look, these kids don't have toothpaste. These kids don't have soap. I mean, basic things that our kids don't even think about today and to help your kids see how blessed they really are and how they then can be a blessing to others. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Now, it has always befuddled me how moms get one day and pastors get a whole month. And my latest theory on that is that moms are so easy to love, you can get it done in a day, but pastors are a little harder to love and it takes a whole month. That's my latest theory. I don't know. But do you realize that pastors in churches all across this nation are leading the charge for the gospel. And it's hard. And I've mentioned this before, 400 pastors every single Monday quit the ministry. I went to a community Christian school this week. They had a pastor appreciation and I was adopted by the first grade. It is so good for someone to adopt you as a pastor. I was wanted. It was awesome. And first grade are so fun cuz if parents if you haven't figured it out yet, that's the parrot stage. Everything you say at home gets repeated over and over and over. So you might want to watch what you're saying. But it's really fun, but these kids wrote me these letters. And uh they, they asked me questions like, how many uh, kids do you have? And what's your favorite Bible verse? And then this, this was one of the letters. And, and Ben and I were there together, and he got a whole bunch of letters too. And uh, this was a letter that just touched my heart from a little kid, first grade. Thank you for coming to CCS, Community Christian School. How hard is your job? Is that a great question? How hard is your job? Now, I can't be honest with a first grader to the level that I can be honest with you. But let me tell you, with storming the gates of hell, how hard do you think it's going to be? Every pastor I know has a target on their back. And Satan's looking for a way to take them out. And every Monday morning, 400 get taken out. Do you realize we have churches in this community that are closing because they can't get a pastor? As a Berean Fellowship, we have sixty churches. We're a small fellowship, but we are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of those sixty churches, we split those churches into districts where as pastors we get together every other month. And in our district, there's seven other churches, so eight including ourselves. And currently one of our churches doesn't have a pastor. They're in need of a pastor. But I got to thinking over the last couple of months, what if we became another one of those statistics? What if one of our sister churches became another one of those statistics? And there's a ministry called Sunscape that our elders found many years ago to send the staff, the pastor and his wife to to be able to understand how to get self care how to be able to do ministry for the long haul. Let me tell you something. Self-care is not selfish because if you don't take care of yourself as a shepherd, you won't be able to take care of the sheep. And pastors, you need to hear that. And some of you young guys, you're like, I can do it, I can do it. Not in your own strength you can. You gotta have balance in your life. It costs $2,000 to send a couple, a pastor and his wife there. We send them as a couple eight days. $2,000 is a lot of money. It is. But what if you and I were to invest in one of our sister churches in our district as Brians? What if one of those pastors and his wife ended up, because of that investment of $2,000 in their life and that Sunscape experience, that they ended up being in the ministry for 20, 30, 40 years? Would it be worth it? Now, you could do stuff here, and we got pastors and, and staff, but can I tell you something? You guys do an amazing job all year long. Truth is, we really don't need October in this church to be appreciated because you guys don't look at it and just say, okay, I'm going to say thanks one month and then nothing for 11 months. You love on us all the time. But do you realize we got pastors around us that aren't? And so if you would like to be a part of that, of reaching out and making a difference in their life, here's what I want you to do. Write out a check to Mitchell Breein Church or cash, put it in an envelope, and somewhere on the check or on the envelope, mark pastor appreciation. How awesome would it be for us at the end of October, we're gonna do this through October, at the end of October for us to be able to call a couple of our sister churches and say, look, we just wanna love on your pastor. Because isn't that what being a fellowship and being a family really is? That we look outside of ourselves and we say, how do we serve? How do we love on other people? What about our missionaries? They're on the front line serving Jesus. Why? The advancement of the gospel. And you know, so often it's easy, out of sight, out of mind. But the end of November, we're going to highlight in that service all of our different missionaries. We're getting video clips, all kinds of different things to be able to help you understand what's going on in their lives, how you can support them, how you can pray for them. But wouldn't it be amazing if through December, above our regular giving, we sacrificially gave and took up uh, offering to be able to support our missionaries to where at Christmas we sent each one of them a gift? Because, you know, a lot of times as a missionary, you get to the end of the year and things are short because maybe some people dropped off as supporters. Who knows what happened, but it's the end of the year. And how amazing would it be for them to not just have us pray for them, but to partner with them and to continue to support them, and not just in our regular monthly, but an extra love gift. Church, it is easy to make it about the groaning, And we're living in a time where there's a lot to groan about, but it is not about the groaning. It is about the goal. Because if you and I aren't careful, we'll get caught up in the garbage of this world instead of the gospel, God's word. Second thing that Paul says to you when I hear it is about our testimony, it's not about our trials. Do you notice that the whole palace guard know why Paul is in chains? Paul is in chains because of Jesus Christ. Paul lived out loud for the Lord, right? Paul was not afraid to share Christ with people. He wanted to share his testimony with those around him more than he was concerned with the troubles that surrounded him. Can I ask you this question? Are you more focused today giving time and energy to your trials or to your testimony? Where is your foundation where is your confidence? Is your confidence in Jesus Christ or in your current circumstances? Because when your confidence is in Christ, you have a firm faith, you have a firm foundation. But when your confidence is in your current circumstances, can I tell you something about your circumstances? They're going to change no matter how hard you try to hold on to them. Jesus Christ doesn't change. That's why we have a firm foundation when our confidence is in Christ. But when we place it in what's really going on in our circumstances, what happens is it shifts. And you know what kind of faith we end up with? Flip-flop faith. And I think a lot of us today, we we don't have a firm faith. We got a flip-flop faith. Now, you know what is required to wear flip-flops? You need nice weather, right? Right? This doesn't work when things start to turn and it gets hard and it gets cold. And there are some of us today, you know why our constant prayer is God, just make everything perfect. Take away my problems. Why? Because we got a flip flop faith and we can't handle anything hard. That's why we need God to remove the problems today. You see, here's the thing about a flip flop faith there's no substance, it's all surface. And I want to ask you, do you have substance to your faith today? So that when the weather changes, and it's going to change, right? Circumstances in your life, the seasons of life change. And when it starts snowing, you're like, it's okay. Because I don't have a flip-flop faith. i got a firm faith. It's built on Jesus Christ. Look, the church in Philippi wasn't just birthed through problems. It was built through problems. That's why it became a strong, solid church. What if you and I, as a body of believers, spent less time worrying about our troubles and more time worrying about our testimony for Jesus? You see, the last thing that Paul says to us here, it's about reaching people, not about removing problems. And Paul had this amazing perspective. And because of that, it was powerful in the lives of not just the church, but also the culture. You notice the whole palace guard, the Praetorian guard, heard the gospel. You see, Paul didn't see being a prisoner as a problem. He saw it as a platform to share Jesus. And he had this absolutely amazing perspective that I think we miss today when we read this scripture. And I want to visually show you what that looks like. And in order to do that, I need a volunteer. There's someone that would be willing to come. Yep. Come on up. So, I don't think you've ever probably been chained to a preacher, but you know, it's really not very exciting. Hopefully, that's not too tight. You got that? So, this is what Paul went through, okay? He was chained every single day to different guards throughout the day. Here was his limit. This was his life. Here's the amazing perspective that we need to have today. Paul was not focused on his prison. Paul was not focused on his problems. Paul was focused on a person. Do you see who I'm chained to? Most of us were looking at the Praetorian guard, right? And what we see is that's a problem. No, that's a person. And one of the reasons that we are not reaching the culture for Christ is because we see the culture as a problem and we don't see the culture as people. And that is an amazing perspective that we need to have today. Here's the thing. Paul understood that he had a captive audience, okay? It's what every preacher wants, but very few preachers are willing to go through to get to, right? Now, there were some limits, and I want to talk about the limits of these chains for a moment because most of us, we're, we're so focused on the things that are holding us back and we see everything as limits today, right? But what exactly did these chains limit Paul from doing? Don't move. Guess what? I can't just go where I want, right? But let me ask you can I still do the will of God? You see, Paul couldn't go where he wanted, but he could do the will. And I'm gonna tell you, any chain in your life that prevents you from doing what you want, but allows you to do the will of God and trade your wants for God's will is not a burden, it is a blessing. This is not a limit. Okay, we're seeing some of these things in our lives today as a problem. They're not. They're allowing us to connect with people and they're limiting our wants so that it can maximize God's will. Here's another limit. I have absolutely no privacy while I am constantly chained to a garden. Every three, four hours, a new guard comes, and they get to go home and have privacy, but I never have any privacy as Paul. Can I tell you something? If we're going to be sold out for Jesus Christ today, we've got to get over in America this idea that we can just live private lives. We live public lives for Jesus, right? People are going to pry into your life if you're a real believer in Jesus Christ, And what we're doing today as a body of believers is split up. I need my personal time. And, And I watch families. We're all split with our devices, watching our Netflix, having our private time. But guess what? There's no connection with people. You want to talk about being chained. We are tethered to technology today instead of being tied to the people that desperately need Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. you and I need to understand that our private life, our public life have to be the same. We don't need private because we want to share Jesus Christ. Paul understood this, that while he was bound by chains, they were bound for hell. Is that your perspective today? Paul realized that he was chained to the Savior. They were still chained to their sin. And church, I want to encourage you. Stop looking at the people around you as a problem and see them as a person that desperately needs the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give a man a hand. Satan threw everything at this church in Philippi. And he threw his greatest weapon at that church, You know what Satan's greatest weapon is? It's the state. It's the authorities. He is the prince of this world. And so he threw his greatest weapon, and he had the state arrest Paul. Why? Because he did not want Paul to continue to preach and for Jesus to publicly go out throughout the Roman Empire. But remember, what does God do with problems that's the ammunition, right? The affliction is the ammunition for the advancement of the gospel. And what I want you to see is what happened is Satan threw his greatest weapon and God just turned it right back on him. Because where did Paul end up? We want to stop him from spreading the gospel in Rome and he ends up in the palace with a Praetorian guard, that is the heart of Rome. How like God to place Paul right in the heart of Rome. You see, Paul understood this. Being a prisoner was just a stepping stone to the palace. Do we have that perspective today as believers? That's the perspective that Old Testament Joseph had, Right? Do you remember Old Testament Joseph? He, he was thrown in the pit by his family. And then he was sold into Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of sexual misconduct. Is that not rampant in our culture today? Things that were happening thousands of years ago are still happening today. And he ends up in prison, and his friends forget about him, and he's forsaken. And we ask ourselves the question, God, why all the problems? Why the affliction? It's the ammunition to advance the gospel. Why did he have to go to the pit and part of his house and prison, stepping stones to the palace? And what does he do when he gets to the palace? He lives out loud for the Lord, and what? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hungry people are saved from death. But you see, most of us, we're not going to preach in the palace. You know why? We're still stuck in our prisons. We're still stuck in the pit. And some of you, you're still listening to all of those family wounds. And you're living life in the pit in the past. And you've allowed your life to become defined by the wounds instead of the word of God. It's not what your family says about you. It is what your father, heavenly father, says about you. For some of you, you're never going to preach in the palace. You know why? Because you're still listening to the voices of all the Potiphar's in your life. They said all those horrible things about you. They hurt your heart deeply. And you listen to their words over and over. In fact, you're listening to the words of Potiphar more than you're listening to the words of God. And so we become prisoners in the prison instead of preachers in the palace. Church, this is the Praetorian guard. This was the elite Roman guard. These were men's men, and yet Paul said they still need Jesus. And there are a lot of people we write off today, they'll never listen. They have the same heart, they have the same sin condition, and they desperately need Jesus. Can I ask you this question? How do we reach our special forces today? How do we reach our Praetorian guard? Because we've got one. And as a church isn't that our job? Do you realize that, that 50, 60 of our veterans are taking their life every single day? That means during this service, at least one veteran committed suicide. I want to invite my good friend, Chris Kinnis, part of our body, that God has laid a ministry on his heart and a way for you and I to go ahead and to connect with our military men and women. Chris, if you come.
1: Good morning. Man, we serve an awesome God, don't we? Can I get an amen? Amen. So, uh, my wife and I used to do commercial hunting trips. Um, I worked for the railroad uh, full-time, making $56,000 a year. I had a pretty comfortable lifestyle. Um, God kept calling us to do something more so we thought through the commercial hunting we just put bibles in people's hands that uh we hosted and uh he just kept calling but i thought i'm being partially obedient right we're good right no partial obedience is still a disobedience so uh in december of 2015 about. 2 30 in the afternoon. I come traipsing in the house. Miss Jay's like, You're home a little early, aren't you? Not feeling good. I said, Well, I said, as about 35 minutes ago, I became unemployed. So if any of you know my wife, she's got an earnery streak in her. And I'm thinking, Oh man, I'm gonna be in the doghouse. But uh she said, good. She said, God's been calling you for how many years to go into ministry full-time? This is your opportunity. So, uh, needless to say, that's where we, we headed. We uh, got to place on our heart to work with our military personnel. Like Pastor G said, um, we're roughly losing 60 to 90 military men and women daily to suicide. And to to give you an idea about that, is there anybody in here that is former military or or even former law enforcement? Could I have you stand up, please? Thank you. Thank you for your service. Now my next, remain standing, please. My next question is, how many of y'all... Have a loved one that either has served or is serving. Could you please stand up? Pastor G, would you say that's about 60 to 90 people? So I want y'all to look around. That's a day. Those are souls of Satan's women. This many people are taking their own lives in the military because they don't have any hope, you can go ahead and be seated. We work with a lot of tier one operators. Their family's a six-man team. They're closer to those, th- those teammates and they, they are their own family because that's who they spend their time with. So you take them out of that and uh, the horrors that they face when they are on a mission. They don't have God. The only, the only option they have is to them is in the bottom of a bottle or bottom of a syringe. It's sad. So, Ms. J and I, we started this ministry. We bring them out, we use hunting as a platform. Ms. J provides meals for them all. She cooks them all, and she loves on them, and gives them hugs, and tells them how awesome they are. And um, but the great thing is, is it affords me the time to spend with them, to share the message of the gospel and the message of salvation. We had a gentleman uh, that during turkey season show up. They came in on a Thursday night and. Let me know they were there, so I met him at the motel for a meet and greet. And we're talking. We're talking about God, and we're talking about the gospel and salvation. And I have this man's att- attention. I mean, he's fo- dialed in, he's focused. And uh, he starts sharing with me, he opens up, and says, Every time I close my eyes, Demons, <laughs> they're their heads. <laughs> Every time I close my eyes, I said, I got some tough questions for you, and I need you to be honest with me. How often do you talk to God? I don't. I said, I got another question for you. How often do you spend time in the scripture? I don't. So he's sitting there on the edge of the bed holding a can of beer. I said, well, here comes a real good one for you. How much time do you spend self-medicating? Every night. And every night it gets harder and harder. This is a man that ran, was a combat medic, ran with SEAL Team 13. He's seen some stuff. But he was at a point in his life It wasn't worth it anymore. Cool thing is for the next three, four days that I got to spend with him. He had a lot of questions. Tell me about God. Tell me about salvation. How do I receive it? It was great. Three, four days. Three months ago, I get a phone call. Vic calls me up and he says, hey, what are you doing, brother? I said, you know how it is, out here in western Nebraska chasing critters. He said, well, I need to tell you a few things. I said, all right. He started going through, uh, he goes, I've been uh, going through some therapy. It's been helping me out a ton. I've decided to put myself into inpatient treatment. said, but the greatest thing is, is I have a relationship with my two little boys and my wife again. Thank you for saving my life. So with that being said, I want to read you our mission statement. It comes from the book of Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. And this should be our true compass for life. Every one of us as Christians. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. So, I want to thank you for your time. If uh, you want to help out, we'll be at the back. We are currently looking for a bigger place. Um, That way, we can bring these military men into our home and have them with us. The full time, so they don't have an, uh, the opportunity to go out and self medicate, that they are with us on site, and we can share the gospel with them and spend that quality time that they need. We are a nonprofit. We uh, do this completely by donations. And while I'm standing here, I want to I ask a couple, two, three men to stand up if they would. Uh, JT, would you stand up, please? Torch, Pastor G. These three men have been very critical in this uh, this mission that we're on, and I want to thank you. You guys are my bro- you guys are my brothers, and I love you.
0: You know, after the service, and we're about ready to close. But after the service, if you want to connect with Chris, he'll have a table out there. There's also uh, hunting property. Maybe some of you have got land, and and that's a way that you can invest into these guys' lives. Let them use that that property. Uh, costs about 500 to 800, depending on what they're hunting to bring each uh, man or woman in with the military, and so if you want to sponsor one to be able to come, or you just want to give to the ministry, to whatever the needs are that the ministry has, but we can change this culture for Jesus Christ. And I want you to see here that Paul affected not just the culture, but the church. Because do you notice it says at the end, the church got bold. That instead of being focused on their fears, they were focused on their faith. And many of us today, we're allowing our fears to dictate to our faith instead of our faith dictating to our fears. It says that they became courageous. We want our kids to go into our schools, parents, right? And we want them to be courageous for Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Are we being courageous in our workplace? Because many of us... We're wanting to mouth a message to our kids, but we're not really modeling it. And one of the things that I see here when it comes to Christians is that courageous Christians are contagious Christians. And I want to ask you, are you being a courageous, contagious Christian? Are you making it about the goal and not the groaning? Are you making it about your testimony, not your trials? Are you making it about reaching people and not just removing your problems. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for so many opportunities where we can reach out and we can love on people around us. And so help us to respond as a body, to not assume that someone else is going to do that. But God, those areas that you've laid on our heart this morning of places that we can connect, that we can serve you, that we can love the people around us. Father, help us to do that. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.